You're listening to online media from Glendale Christian Church. For more information, visit us at glendalecc.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at glendalecky. Before we jump into the message, I want to tell you about what's coming up next week. We're going to begin a brand new series of sermons called Bottom of the Ninth. And so if you're a baseball fan, and I am, uh, you'll enjoy parts of it because it's got some baseball ties to it. um, And that's a lot of the reason it intrigues me. But uh, we're going to talk about Bottom of the Ninth moments. Because the reality is, is that everybody has sometime, at some point in their life, felt like they were just really far behind. They were so far behind they didn't know where to begin. Maybe they were behind in in financial situations or emotional or relationship situations and you just kind of felt like you were down and just about out. And if you've ever felt like that, well then this series is going to be for you. We're going to call those bottom of the ninth moments and we're going to focus on the fact that we're never out. There's always hope. And so if you've ever been in one of those situations, there's always hope remaining. And so we're going to talk about that for a couple of weeks, and I'm really excited about that, and I hope that you'll make plans to attend. Hey, right now, though, we're going to jump into the message, and we're finishing up our series that we've been in for the last few weeks called Raising Giant Slayers. And the whole point of this series has been to help us as parents, as grandparents, as the church, to equip us to be able to raise children who will be able to slay the giants that they face in the world. Because let's be honest, the world is a scary place. When we go out into the world, there are a lot of giants that are going to have to be overcome. And there's a lot of giants in the world that would seek to do harm to us and to our children. And so we want to equip them to be like David to be able to pick up some stones and to sling those stones and to slay those giants so that whatever comes their way they will see not just a big problem but a big God who's capable of handling all their situations. Now many of you who are here today and watching online you grew up attending church and for those of you who are my age and older your church experience as a child was probably a lot different than the church experience of most of our kids now. You know, if they come to first service, they go to children's church. Uh, uh, But when I was growing up and when most of you all were growing up, you came to church, there was no children's church, right? You you just came to church and you you sat with your family and you sat in the pew and you listened to the sermon um, and and participated, maybe some, maybe not. But you you were there and, and you learned, really, probably the only thing you learned was really to sit still and be quiet. That's kind of what we used to teach our kids in church it was sit still and be quiet because if you didn't do that there were consequences right because if your dad was like my dad he would put his arm around us like he was hugging the whole family but he wasn't it was an aiming device and at some point if you started acting up this finger right here would pluck the back of your head and then you would respond like if I did I was out and then I got another one real quick for being loud. I learned real quick. You didn't respond to the first one. You just, okay. And, and that was what, what I learned. I learned to sit still and be quiet or I was going to get the back of my head plucked. But, but church was always a part of my life. It's always been a part of my life. I, I tell people all the time, I was born in the middle of a two-week revival. Uh, you know, back in the, in the 80s, they still did two-week revivals, and, and my church seemed like they did them a lot. And so in the middle of the summer, there was a two-week revival, and I was born right in the middle of it. So about day four of my life, I was in church, and from then on, I've been in church, and I've never known really life apart from the church, and I'm grateful for that. Um, but, but growing up, church was, it was just assumed that we were going to go to church. I mean, we got up on Sundays just like we did Monday through Friday to go to school and mom and dad to go to work. And we got up and we went to church. That's just what we did. And church life, really, it wasn't all that bad. I mean, 
most, uh, most of the time it was a place for social interaction. Most of my family went there to the same church I went to. Most of my friends went to the same church that I went to. So it was a chance to see people. But sometimes sitting through the sermon was a challenge. And I know some of you have that same problem now, so I, I empathize. Um, but it wasn't because we had a bad preacher. In fact, I wish I had been more appreciative growing up of the preacher that we had. His name was Greg Bowen, and, and he was just a great man. And I, I really wish that looking back now, I wish I had appreciated how, how good of a minister he was to, to our family and to our church. But, but, uh, but sitting through the sermon was still a challenge sometimes. Because as a child, and, and this is still true today, as a child, you would rather do just about anything than sit still and listen to anybody talk. It doesn't matter who it is talking, right? You don't want to sit still and listen to people talk. Back then, you know, you, you'd be in the middle of the summer and it's warm and, and the AC's not working real well in those old churches. And if they had AC and you see the sun coming in through the stained glass and, and all you really want to do is be outside, right? You know, I, I skipped rocks a lot and so all I would do is sit in church thinking about skipping rocks and and be ready to go do that and and the same really could be said for a lot of adults too that they they just would rather be doing anything than sitting still listening to somebody talk but here's the thing if we don't have an appetite for what happens in our corporate gatherings and in our church worship time if we don't have an appetite for those things then, then attending church coming to church will always be regarded as as a chore as a job, it'll be something that we have to do to check off our list, off our to-do list for that week. We get our gold star, and then we're good for the for the week. If we don't hunger for what happens in, in, in our corporate worship, whether it's singing, praying, being with God's people, if we don't have a hunger for for those kind of things, then we'll never enjoy attending church. It'll just be something that you do, or maybe you stop doing. My grandfather was a preacher. Uh, for, for a really long time. And in fact, he might have been Mike's youth minister when, when Mike was growing up. But my, when my cousin and I would go to visit my grandparents on the weekend, uh, we would go to church with, with them. And my grandmother would tell us as we were driving to church that if we were you know, participating in worship, if we, could, if we um, did that, then there would be a reward for us at the end of the day. You know, so we, if we went and we sang the hymns and we, you know, we bowed our heads when, we, when there was prayer and, and we followed along with the sermon. Um, on the way home, there would be some questions. She would ask us some questions about the things that happened. And if we could answer those questions correctly, then there would be a reward for it. And, and usually it was ice cream or, or something like that. We, we'd do something like that. Now, I know some people would, would criticize that style of parenting and grandparenting and they would call it bribery. But my grandmother called it reward. And, and, and really, that's a biblical principle. Hebrews eleven six says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is God, and that he, God, is a rewarder of those who seek him. God rewards those who seek after him. And so our misunderstanding of reward has weakened our understanding and our practice of faith. Some foolishly, I believe, say that they're not interested in reward. But, but reward's a biblical concept that reveals the nature of who our Father in heaven is. And if anything, we should adjust to him, not ask him, not reduce him to look like us, right? We, we should adjust to the Father. I've, I've tried to carry that on uh, with my family, with my boys. And so when they were smaller, we would often, there would be a reward. You know, if, if they participated in, in worship, there, there would be a reward for them. Corporate gatherings, uh, church 
has been an important part of who our family is. My boys have grown up knowing that there were certain things that were just non-negotiables. We were going to go to church on Sunday. And it was expected that they were going to go and be a part of our worship. I appreciate that Bobby takes the same stance with, with his boys. They're playing youth baseball this year, William and Ethan are, and many of their games are on Wednesday nights. And Bobby has been very upfront with his boys that, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, but those games, you're going to miss most of them. Because being with the youth group, being with the elementary group, being just with the church family on that night is more important than those baseball games. And, and here's why I think that's important. Because I have, and many of you have, and, and others as well, have discovered that children benefit from, from what was happening even when they're very young and even when it seems like they're not paying attention. Children pick up spiritual things quite easily, even when they're, when they're playing or with toys or they're coloring. It seems like they're not paying attention. They, they pick up on things. I've had some of you tell me that you know, your, your grandkids were with you and, and you didn't think they were paying attention. In fact, you thought they were sleeping. And, and then on the way home, uh, they, they said something about something that was said in church and they start telling you about it. And you're like, oh, I, I I really didn't think you were paying attention to it. Children pick up on these things. They, 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 they are so spiritually sensitive. In fact, I'll say more spiritually sensitive than many adults are. They, and they're, so they're able to pick up on these things. I, I feel sorry. And, and sorry is probably not the right word. But, but I don't know a better word. I, I feel sorry for kids whose parents let them choose when they attend church. Uh, they, they miss out when, when parents choose to let their kids attend church or not attend church. They miss out on the discipline uh, of, of doing the right thing when it feels good and when it doesn't feel good. And, and let's be honest, we don't do that with our kids in any other area of life, do we? we? We don't give our kids the option of going to school. We tell them they're going to school, right? Because if we gave our kids the option to, to not go to school or not, most of our kids would say, I think I'm going to stay home today. That's what they would do. We don't give our kids the option of, of not going to the dentist, do we? We take them to the dentist or, or going to the doctor and, and, and getting their shots or, or eating their vegetables. We, we make them do it, right? Because we know it's good for them. It's going to benefit them. So why, when it comes to faith, the most important aspect of their life, and it is the most important aspect and area of their life, why then do we start all of a sudden changing our minds and say, okay, well, now you can have an option. I've heard parents say, well, I don't, I don't want to shove it down their throat why you shove broccoli down their throat I mean really why 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 do we change it it's the most important aspect of their life and suddenly we decide it's a good good idea to let them choose let, listen anything as a child that that we let them choose on they're probably going to choose the opposite of what we want them to it's just the nature of children they're going to choose the opposite of what we want them to so so we need to we need I'll say we need to make our kids come to church. Make your kids. Don't give them the option. Make them come to church. Why? Because if you don't, they'll lose out on the exposure to the atmosphere that helps them construct an internal value system. It, it, it's that value system where, where the spirit of man becomes trained, where, where we learn right from wrong, where we learn what God wants for our lives, where we learn how to discern the voice of God and the will of God. I read an interesting story a couple weeks ago. It was from a lady who grew up in, in, a, in a more charismatic church group than, than us. 
But she said that when the Spirit of God was moving in their, in their corporate gatherings, in their worship services, moving very powerfully, they would instruct the parents to go get their kids out of the nursery and to bring them into the sanctuary where, where the worship was taking place. And she said the reason they did that was because by bringing those kids into that holy atmosphere, it would have a great impact on them. She said that, that they would learn his ways and they would learn to recognize his presence and really one of the greatest gifts that we can give to God is to, to introduce and to teach our kids to the presence and the voice of God. To teach them to be able to hear and discern the voice of God. To teach them to, to what it is to be in the presence of God. To expose them to the glory of God. If you want to give your kids a great gift, expose them to the goodness and the glory of God. You can't give them a better gift than that. And when I read that, I immediately thought about Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, verse 41, it says this. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about this. When both Jesus and John were, were still in their mother's womb, something extraordinary happened. Mary walks into a, into a room, and she sees her cousin Elizabeth there, and she says, Hi, cousin, how are you? Something like that. And when she did, John leaped in his mother's womb. Consider this, when, when the Son of God entered into the room, even though he was still in his mother's womb, another baby recognized his presence and responded with joy. Another baby inside his mother's womb recognized the presence of the Son of God and responded with joy. That's, in, that's incredible to me. And in turn, Elizabeth, the mother, was also filled with the Holy Spirit. This scripture demonstrates a, a child's ability to recognize the Holy Spirit. Don't underestimate what a child can discern and recognize and benefit from. One of the principles that I learned early in parenting life comes from the story of the priest of priest Eli and his boy, the boy Samuel. If you remember the story, Samuel was the son of Hannah. Hannah was a, a woman who desperately wanted to have children, but for, for many, many years was barren, could not have children. And she was so desperate to have a child that she goes into the temple and she begins praying. And, and Eli, the priest, sees her praying and she's just pouring her heart out before God and, and, and in such desperation that he actually thinks that she's drunk. In fact, he kind of chastises her. He says, lady, it's, it's pretty early in the morning. You, you shouldn't have be this far along yet and, and so he kind of chastises her about it and then he realizes oh no she's not drunk she's just pouring her heart out before God and Hannah doesn't care what Eli thinks because she's just in that desperation mode and when you're in that kind of desperation I don't think that you you really care what people think at least most people don't anyway but when Eli recognizes the sincerity and the authenticity in, in Hannah's prayer, he, he makes a promise to Hannah. In fact, he announces to her that you're going to have a son. And, and, and Hannah does. She goes back home and nine months later she's, she delivers Samuel. And then Hannah gives Samuel back to, to God. She takes Samuel when, when he's old enough to, to go and live with Eli and to serve with Eli in the ministry of the priesthood. Here, here's what Samuel 1 says. It's Hannah says, for this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I've also dedicated him to the Lord. And as long as he lives, he's dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Han Hannah gave a somewhat similar gift that, that Abraham, uh, in Abraham, in that Samuel was the fulfillment of, of a promise to Hannah, just like Isaac was the fulfillment of a promise to Abraham. And God rewarded her accordingly because God rewards those who seek him. So God rewarded her and she had three more sons after Samuel. But, but 
Samuel goes and lives with Eli, and Eli trained Samuel in the presence of the Lord. And the boy learned all the priestly duties, and he wore all the priestly garments that were associated with the priesthood of that day. But, but in that story, there's a second time that the Bible mentions that Samuel was ministering to the Lord. And it says that in that time, it, it was rare to hear from the Lord. Visions uh, weren't common, and the reason for that was because Samuel's oldest sons... Uh, they, they were priests, but they weren't very priestly. In fact, they, they weren't good men at all. They were very sinful. And because of that, God removed his voice, his presence from them. And so here's what, here's what the scripture says. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. And, and in that moment, when hearing from God was rare, when visions didn't happen, something incredible happens. Samuel heard something one night in the middle of the night. He hears a voice calling out to him, and he thinks it's Eli. So he gets up, and he runs into Eli's bedroom and says, Hey, did you call for me? And Eli says, No, I didn't call for you. It must be those nachos you had before bed. Go back to bed. And then he hears the voice a second time, and he runs into Eli's room a second time, and he says, Hey, Eli, did you call for me? And Eli says, No, I told you it was those nachos you had before bed. Go back to bed. You're, just, you're, you're hearing things. It's just your stomach. Go back to bed. And so Samuel goes back to his bed. And a third time, he hears this voice. And a third time, Samuel gets up and he goes into Eli's room. And finally, it clicks with Eli that maybe this is the voice of God. Maybe it's God calling out to him. And so he gives Samuel some instructions that this is how you should respond if if God calls back to you again, if God speaks to you again. And God did speak to Eli again, or to Samuel again. And when he did, a prophet was made. Samuel heard the voice of God and he responded to the voice of God with, with surrender that was manifested through, through obedience. But, but here's the part of the story that I had never really considered until I had my own children. Before God spoke that fourth time, the Bible says of Samuel, Now Samuel did not, know, did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. Don't miss this, chapter 3, verse 7. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been yet revealed to him. It, when, when I read that after, after Noah was born, it, something just clicked in my head and it, it, it was clear to me that Samuel ministered to the Lord, but he didn't have a relationship with him yet. He, he didn't know him. He did what was right simply because he had been taught to do what was right. He was doing what he had been trained to do. He did right simply because it was the right thing to do. We're to teach our children to, to minister, to serve the Lord wholeheartedly in the same way that Eli taught Samuel. But we got to be aware that sometimes we are training our children in the motions of something that they don't yet understand. It wasn't until after God spoke that fourth time to Samuel that a relationship was formed. And suddenly when that relationship was formed, all, all the training, all the times in the presence with practical service and worship, it all made sense to Samuel. The principle was, is, is clear. We must teach our children the ways of loving God, the ways of worship, the ways of, of serving Him, the ways of personal devotion. Even when they don't yet understand it, even if they don't want to. And it's not training them in hypocrisy. Instead, it's creating a momentum that, that will make sense to them once they have their own personal relationship with God. And I'll tell you, personally, I think that that kind of training, when we teach our children from a young age to know the voice of God, to, to serve God, to do the right thing, even even when they don't want to, just because it's the right thing, I think that training attracts the voice of God at an earlier age to their lives. According to the Barna Group, who's a, a church survey group, 94% of adult Christians decided to follow God before they became an adult. 
94%. So that's an overwhelming majority. That would mean that most of us in this room decided to, to follow God, to become a Christian before you turned 18, before those 940 weeks were up. That's only, that means, I hope you understand the implications of, of that statement. That means that only 6%, a, a very small margin of people, choose to follow God after those 940 weeks are over. And the majority of that 940, uh, the majority of that 94% happens before the age of 16, 836 weeks. 836 weeks. If your child doesn't choose to follow Christ before that time, there's a very small likelihood that they will choose to follow Christ as an adult. It's not saying that they won't. It's just saying that statistically, they are less likely to follow Christ after those 940 weeks. Let me be absolutely clear about this. Your job as a parent, as a grandparent, and my job as a parent, is not to make sure that our kids get into good schools that our kids get good grades all the time, that they are Division I athletes, that, that they have a good job, that they are successful at whatever they choose to do, uh, that they have uh, a, a great spouse, that they have more of and, and a better childhood than we had. That is not our number one job. All those things are important. Don't get me wrong. They're all important. But our number one job, my number one job, your number one job, more important than any and all of those things just mentioned, is to make sure that our children know the Lord. As parents, as grandparents, as the church. We're to prepare our children with instruction and example. And aggressively instructing them carries a prophetic significance, meaning that making them do something or even rewarding them with something, even when they don't want to do it, prepares them to make choices that they might might not have had access to without that instruction, without that training. We, We have to train our children with their destiny in mind. With the idea that it's the foundation for their relationship with God. And so we get them ready through prayer and teaching and encouragement. Through, through bringing them together with the body of Christ. Through, through our corporate worship on Sundays. To, to youth group on Wednesday nights. To elementary group. To, to kids church. All of those things. And, and when we do that we have the privilege of watching God respond to their readiness with opportunities that they might not have had otherwise. Parents, we have the, the privilege. Grandparents. Church, we have the privilege of training our children for greatness, to to be giant slayers, to to be able to pick up stones and and throw them at the giants that they're going to face. And and we do this best when we embrace the values that we teach them. When we do that, it goes a long way in enabling them to learn from us. When when we live what we teach, when when our walk matches our talk, we, we do more than just give out information. We're showing them. Kids can get information from a book or Wikipedia. They can, they can look up all those kind of stuff. But they can only get what a parent or a grandparent can impart to them when they see us live it out and teach it in our, in our children's daily lives. And I'm convinced that, that training them that way affords them opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise. I think about David and his son um, um, Solomon. Solomon writes in Proverbs that, that his father David instructed him in the ways of wisdom, that, that he was diligent and intentional in teaching him uh, the ways of the Lord. Now David didn't do a real great job of that with his other children, but with Solomon he, he was very intentional. And so when God comes to Solomon and he says, hey, you can have anything in the world, what do you want? Solomon says wisdom. I, and I think, what if David hadn't been intentional with Solomon 
What would have happened? Would Solomon have chosen something else? And I think so. I think he would have. But when we are intentional about pouring out into our children, we get to, we get to watch God respond to, to their readiness and, to their op- and present them with opportunities that they might not have had otherwise. Look, I get it. 940 weeks. It seems like a really long time. Uh, to those of you with kids who are at the beginning of that journey called parenthood, it seems like an eternity. Now, I understand. Dirty diapers, sleepless nights, endless loads of laundry. Where does all that laundry come from? The terrible twos, the, the frightening threes, the, the terrific fours, they're, they're pretty good. The fantastic fives, whatever you want to call them. They, it certainly makes 940 seem like a lifetime away. In reality, it passes in the blink of an eye. I want to show you something. This is Noah and Eli's jars. Noah is my oldest. Eli is my youngest. Uh, Noah has 170 weeks left. This is what his jar looks like. He has 170 weeks. He's about to finish his freshman year of high school. He's about to turn 16 and get his driver's license, and I'm not really anywhere prepared for that. I'm certainly not ready to pay for the insurance. Eli's 14 years old. He's about to complete middle school. He has 220 weeks left. This is what their jars look like. These jars remind me that, that this is a very limited time that I have to be the primary influence in my boys. To raise them to be the giant slayers that, that God is calling them to be. To be the father that God has called me to be. It reminds me of my responsibility to continue to train them in the ways of the Lord even when they don't want it. Even when I don't feel like it. So that when faced with the giants of the world, they don't cower like the Israelite army did. Remember in, in the very, very beginning of this series, we talked about uh, David and Goliath and how the Israelite army, when they saw this giant Goliath and, and he came out, they, they all ran away from him. They cowered. They, they feared him. And David comes along and he sees this giant. And he says, yeah, he's big. But my God's bigger. And he goes down to the river and he gets a couple smooth stones and... He gets his slingshot out and he walks up to that giant. And the giant says something to him and David says, no, 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 you're not going to defile the God of the Israelites. You're not going to defile my God. And he takes a rock and he puts it in his slingshot and he slings it and he slays that giant. That's how I want my boys to react. That's how I want your kids and grandkids, the kids of our church, to, to respond when they face giants. I want them to see a big problem, but an even bigger God. I want us to raise parents, grandparents, church. I want us to raise giant slayers. But our time is limited. 940 weeks. It goes by quick. The blink of an eye. I can tell you, I never would have thought uh, these years, these 16 years would have gone by as quick as they have. When, when the boys, my boys are 16 months apart, when they were uh, two years old, when Noah was two and we had an infant, I thought, oh, they can't grow up fast enough. The great, I, I tell people sometimes the greatest day of my parenting life was when they, could, when they could make their own breakfast, when they could pour their own cereal and pour their own milk. That was a great day. I didn't have to do it for them anymore. I didn't have to get up anymore. But it reminds me that those days have quickly come and gone. And they will quickly come and go for each of our kids and grandkids. And so it's our responsibility to be intentional. To, to look at these, these gems and know that each one is a week that we have. 
And so what are we going to do with each week that we have? With every opportunity. We have 940. We can't waste them. We can't waste them. Let's raise our kids, our grandkids, the next generation of church leaders to be giant slayers. To look at giants of the world and say, that's a big, that's a big problem. But I serve an even bigger God. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And we are so incredibly grateful for the gift of children. Father, may we never take for granted the opportunity that we have to, to love the kids that you've blessed us with. Whether they're our own kids or kids that we're just connected to through the church or, or through other um, uh, organizations or whatever. Father, may we always treasure the time that we have with our children. But may we always be intentional about raising our kids to be disciples of you. So that when they face obstacles in the world, when they face giants in the world, and they will, they can look at those things and they can say they're big, but my God is bigger. And they can pick up the stones and they can slay the giants with them. Father, may the church be a place where, that, that prepares them, that, that gives them the, the tools and the resources that they need to, to slay giants. May the church be a place that, that equips parents and walks alongside of, of parents. Father, may we always look to you to be our example of how to best raise our kids so that when this next generation of kids grow up, we can hand the church off to them so that they can lead the church well and, and we'll hand it off in such a way that it'll be better than it was when we hand, were handed it. And they'll be more prepared than we were because we've been intentional and we've not wasted our time. Father, help us to raise giant slayers. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, the greatest giant slayer. Amen.